Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and this is High Performance, our conversation for you every week that reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to a really fascinating young man. Welcome to a special bonus episode in partnership with Dell Technologies and Microsoft. Now, before we get going, Dell have a UK-based podcast conference called Podference. It's absolutely brilliant, a place to share advice and inspiration to support all kinds of small businesses. Dell is a trusted advisor for small businesses. They offer dedicated technology and solutions so you can find the right technology and advice to help your business grow and succeed. And today, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about thinking differently allows you to do things differently. We're going to talk about refusing to take no for an answer and instead asking why. We're about to speak to a young man who is described by the Sunday Times as one of the most influential teenagers on the planet when he was just 16. He started his first business aged 11. He's a young guy that believes in doing things differently. He loves creating disruptive startups. He's now only in his early 20s, but he's now the co-founder of a business called Happle. And I'm personally so excited to share this podcast with him. I think that he's the perfect guest, actually, not just because of the things he's done as a young businessman, but also I think it's all about the age at which he decided to do these things and the fact that he was brave enough and ambitious enough at school to still be an entrepreneur. I think it takes an incredible amount of self-belief. This is what's coming your way on today's episode of the High Performance Podcast. I was 16, did my last GCSE exams. I remember it was on the first day of my last exam. That Monday, got my first office and I remember saying to my dad in the back of his car, getting everything in, I was like, right, now, now is the time. Like, I feel like I'd almost been released in like a weird way. Being like, you know what, the, the day-to-day of school had now been said, actually, that's now finished, off you go. I think one thing I've seen quite a lot about the next generation of entrepreneurs is they go entrepreneur first and go, how do I make money? And they don't think about, here's a passion that I genuinely love. How can I commercialize that? In like the business hierarchy or map, you're at the top where you can't go to your colleague and go, oh, I've had a really stressful day because people are looking to you to be that constant metronome in the business. So I then had to really invest in my mental health and find ways to help me then talk or, you know, um, process things and so on. This is a fascinating conversation. Please remember this podcast, although it's called High Performance, it's not about high achievement or high success. It's about high happiness, high self-worth, about taking you closer to a life of fulfillment, empathy and understanding. So let's get you closer to your own version of high performance. Here's Ben Towers on the High Performance Podcast. Well, Ben, welcome along to the podcast. Let's start with your definition, please, of high performance. I think high performance varies for everybody. For me, high performance is waking up every day and feeling at my optimum to get going straight away. And I think what makes high performance for me is sleep such a big thing, part of that, because I feel like if I get the, get the day going quite slow, I find it really hard to reach sort of the height of my performance throughout the day. Okay, so a lot of people hear folk go, it's being at my optimum. Apart from sleep, what are the other most important things, particularly I'm interested in, in the mindset side, the things that people can adopt for themselves? What are the things that get you closer to high performance? I actually sometimes think 
not quite overcomplicating it. But yeah, I think it's also a routine is really important as well, knowing that, you know, for the next hour, I've got this free space to juggle around whatever I need to do. So tell us about your routine then, Ben. Usually throughout the day, like we've got a team and clients, so often loads of calls during the day. So for me, I try to make it so my mind's free to be able to, in between calls, answer questions. And there's lots of things going on with the business at all times. So I usually, mornings, I keep quite quiet where I'm not like a morning person. I'm not like the people who wakes up at 5 a.m., you know, straight out of bed, off a run and so on. I'll get up at about 8 o'clock, um, you know, have something to eat, head to the office, get on my emails and almost get started. Now, I know for me personally, I've learned that my body in the morning is not great for thinking about some of these creative tasks, but I can you know, churn through emails, I can meet some of the team and get some sort of to-dos knocked off. So I use that in the morning and then as the day progresses, I almost get more creative, a bit less drawn to a desk and more like wanting to go and do things and so on. The reason I'm interested in this is because of the origins of you starting your business and your entrepreneurial journey at 11 years of age, where your days were more structured. You know, you go into school, you've got uh, lessons that you need to attend. And I'm interested in terms of when did you discover when you were at your optimum, when you were at your best? Uh, So when I first started out, I mean, naturally the only time I had would be after school in the evenings. And that for me, I'd literally come home um, get my like, homework pushed out of the way. I like, just quickly get myself for it as quickly as I can, sit down, and I'd basically be learning online how to build websites. And that's how I started the company. And so for me, the evenings, I just, I'd say I learned, but also just stumbled upon it because that's the natural time I had to sit at my desk to work. And I'd quite quickly just look at my computer and be like, oh my word, it's like two in the morning and I've got school. And you just, it was time to just fly doing that. And so I've then actually learned if I want to like really work at pace, evenings are actually a perfect time for me. And I'll often after eating, I'll go back to my computer and do that. I'd say one thing I'm also quite grateful for, I mean, you mentioned like starting a company at 11 is from a really young age, I think I've taught myself this ethic of like, you need to work hard like to be able to progress, especially in business. So you can't just like people say, oh, I'll go to the golf course all morning, meet a couple of people and that's it. But maybe that is down the line. But when you're first starting out, it's, it's really about sort of getting things out of the door, moving things forward. And so I'm quite grateful that, you know, from the age in which you learn what is work, I was doing school and then working in the evenings. So I'm naturally just quite happy just to carry on and keep working. And what messages were your parents giving you at this time? Because look, I'll come at this, Ben, from someone with um, a daughter who's about to turn 10. You weren't much older than that when you started this business. And you say at two in the morning, I realised I had to school the next day. Like if Florence isn't asleep by nine o'clock, we're in the bedroom every 10 minutes. Come on. You know, we limit the amount of time on screens, all of these things that weren't happening to you at that age, it sounds like. But we all think that's the right thing. So I'm interested in a few things. And the first one is what were your parents doing at this time to not derail you from this path of hard work and graft? What were their messages? Yeah, so my parents are not in business at all, but I think what they did really well, and it's something that, you know, hopefully one day when I'm a parent, I'd love to do this, is actually set like open challenges and go, can you do this or can you achieve this? And for me, I love that. I love being able to almost prove someone wrong. Go, yeah, I can give that a go. And for me, that's such a big thing. My mum did sit me down quite early on and was like, look, everything you're doing, you know, with website stuff, you know, I'm not necessarily 100% knowing of all what's going on, but, you know, just you need to be careful. You know, don't get yourself into any, like, dodgy work. Don't do any anything that's going to, like, be bad for you or bad for anyone else. And and I think them give me the freedom to say, we know you're not sitting there on social media just having a watch. You actually are 
you know, learning things and you know, progressing your career and then saying, we're not going to sit and pretend to be an expert, but we're going to give you that space allowed me to learn. Take us into that conversation then, Ben, with your mum, because there's a couple of things there that I'm hearing that she's nurturing the creativity and she's asking you to be curious. But it also sounds like she was laying down some really clear principles. And I'm interested, what did she tell you then that you still maintain today? That's one thing I'd say I'm really grateful for my parents the whole time growing up is they very much said, you know, yeah, we don't get eight, you're eight, 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 nine to five, but these are the principles, this is what's really important. I like say, don't, don't do anything which is illegal or going to harm anyone or don't do anything which um, you know, you'll ever regret in the future. And it sounds quite basic, but I actually think when you're a young person, if you're told too many rules, too many don'ts, I think it actually comes back negatively. Like people who get told like, don't do this, don't do this, um, I actually think it makes you go, oh, maybe I could. So yeah, that was a big thing for me. She also said, for example, the legalities of being such a young person running a company. So by doing that, then basically she said, look, your granddad, he's been an entrepreneur all his life. Have a call with him, go and see him and just find out, you know, can you be 11 and can you run a business? And what does that mean from like a tax point of view from everything else? So what did he say? Because that was going to be my next question. Your parents aren't in business and here you are at 11. And I love, by the way, I love the way you blase kind of just go, well, you know, I, I was good on computers, so I set up a business. It's like loads of people are good on computers. <laughs> they don't run a business at the age that you were running it. And we'll talk about how it grew and how successful you became with it. What was the advice then from your grandfather? It was basically, speak to a lawyer was basically the top line <laughs> of it. And, you know, I had all these conversations and, um, and even until I was like 18, every year I'd get tax inspected by the government because there's always this weird thing of, you know, you have an, a child running a company. Is it, is it his parents? It, what is it? And it's, and I, I think now times are changing a bit because you're now starting to get, you know, people producing content online from a really young age and you know, that is a business. But I've, when I was doing it, it was still sort of quite early on. So yeah, I spoke to a number of lawyers um, and we had a few challenging stories that couldn't get a bank account in the name of a company, but could have a business and that sort of thing. So I had a few loopholes I had to work around. But I also think for me, I'm, I'm that sort of guy, once that box was ticked and it said, you're good to go. I was in like, right, I'm, I'm like a, a sprinter at the start of the race now. Now I can like, I can run. So interesting. And to be doing that at such an age is fascinating. How sure and certain were you about what you wanted this business to be? Like, did you see the whole path in front of you? Until about 15, not at all. Until I was that age, it was quite literally money to go to the sweet shop. And, you know, the, my first ever client was my mum's friend who's an orphan. She said, here's £50, build me a website. And so like in that case, when you're 11, £50 is literally a corner shop and I'm going to fill that bag full of anything that's got sugar in. Whereas like, when I started to get to like, 14, 15, I think the reality hit me to go, you're actually running a company. And at this age, for me, my understanding of business was high-rise office blocks in London. It was never somebody in their bedroom building websites. And so that, I think, when I started to realise that what I'm actually doing is technically a company and that shift, I'd say also made my mindset shift to go, okay, hang on a minute. If I'm running a company, I need to think like a company. And I made some silly decisions. I ended up buying a fax machine. I bought a, a desk that was about three quarters of the size of my bedroom at home like a big corner desk that didn't fit. But I just thought, you know, if I'm running a company, I need all the equipment. So give us the 15-year-old guide to running a company then of what smart decisions you made that did pay dividends into the future. 
I'd say the biggest thing for me that paid the biggest dividends is the fact I genuinely loved what I was doing. And I think one thing I've seen quite a lot about the next generation of entrepreneurs is they go entrepreneur first and go, how do I make money? And they don't think about, here's a passion that I genuinely love. How can I commercialize that? And so for me, I was making websites. I genuinely loved it. I was doing that for fun in the evenings before anyone paid me. But it was people who now go, oh, I'm going to start up this business drop shipping products because it, I can make X amount of money per item. I generally see those people after a year or so get bored and they leave. Or they just let it wind down. I don't put in you know, the extra time you need because it's not got the fun. I think that's the biggest thing for definite that even right now what I'm doing company-wise, you know, that's still really important to me. I have to feel personally aligned to what I'm doing. I can't just do sort of a company that's just for the numbers. And I'd say the other thing that for me is really important, this is point of view at that age, is the power of networking. And that again was my parents sort of just saying, Ben, you learn best from meeting people. You're a talker, you like to meet people, you like to say hi and that sort of thing. So get yourself out there and network. And that's how I met my accountant, met my mentors, met people who ended up you know, working with me and stuff and just seeing them face to face. As an adult, I would find a networking meeting, even today, intimidating. As a 15-year-old, I'd have found it just paralyzing with fear. So tell, talk us about walking into these networking meetings as a 15-year-old boy and telling them about your business. I'd say at first it was quite novel because this idea that but I was by far the youngest person, you know, maybe like two or three times youngest in some cases. And so there was like the first time it was a bit sort of, oh, all these questions and it, it's almost be a bit fun because I like to talk about what I'm up to. And then I think it struck me that, you know what, it, it's it's quite weird how I'm so different from other people in this room. And so and it made me really think about when I go into that room, is there, is there anything that I'm expecting or want? So for example, I knew at one point I had a real issue just understanding the finances of a company. You know, I'm, I've never been taught about this. So for me to read a P&L my accountant was giving me, I had to learn about what every single line meant. And so I remember one networking event, I met someone who ended up becoming a mentor of mine. He's like a former CFO of some big startups and things and just said, yeah, let's meet up for coffee next week and I'll support you. So I had to just learn to like almost, if there's a problem, I could meet people to support me on that. But yeah, it's still scary. Even now, I'm not a big fan of walking in doing networking events, things like that at all. So I'm, I'm not the sort of type to walk around and be like, oh, hi to everyone, you know, shake everyone's hand and so on. But I think I almost learned that if I want to be successful at this, I need to be able to meet new people and do that and just push myself for that. And what was your relationship like with self-doubt and imposter syndrome at this age? At this age, I would say I was just flying, living the dream, had this company, I was you know, enjoying it. It was small at that point, but I was enjoying it. I th- but I'd say as the company began to grow, as you know, a lot of media attention on this idea of this you know, young boy in his bedroom building a business and so on, I'd say that definitely started to hit me because that, I think at that point I then realised how important having a support network around me genuinely is. And I almost realised I have like parents in... But my life setting, I all has what I call it, my business parents. And these are um, a couple of people who I've known for a number of years, who are literally the like same age as my parents, who I literally just go to for this sort of advice. And if I ever feel like down or feel a bit like you know, have imposter syndrome or whatever it might be, I then start to go to them and go, I don't know what to do about this. So this is what I'm feeling. And they'll like break it down for me and just guide me through that. But never tell me how to run the business, but they'll give me that sort of advice. And did you go to them, Ben? Because your parents not being from an entrepreneurial background, 
weren't able to give you the answers that you were looking for. Yes, but I also think because I personally, I quite like personal work separation as well. And I, I quite like the fact that you know, when I was um, living in Kent, going into London, doing these meetings and working there and so on, I could come home and it had a bit of separation and not for like work. So I, I, I almost quite hesitant to come home and talk about my problems because I've, I, I was grateful for the fact that the dining table, we were talking about my mum's friend's cues got into this school or my dad's table tennis club, you know, all these random things, but it was nice to have those conversations compared to like business problems. I like to keep them separate. So recruiting mentors is one thing. How do you go about recruiting colleagues and employees? And By the way, particularly when you're a teenager and you're trying to find people to come and work for a business and, and you're going, do you want to join a, a guy who's still at school, setting up a business? I mean, very, very few adults would be comfortable in that situation, I think, Ben, you know? Yeah, and so by the time the company's in that full motion, I had like, um, a guy who was basically like, helping me run the business day-to-day who was much older. So when I was 18, he was 60. So we call ourselves Club 1860. But he, he, but by the time he had to that, you know, he was really on it when it comes to, he'd always have the first meeting and basically say, you know, the marketing company you're about to join is not what maybe you expect it to be and, and almost tell them. And people, I think some found that exciting, the fact that I was never saying, this is how other companies do it. It was saying, well, this is how I think we should do it. And some enjoyed that. Some you know, got put off by that. And we had to build a process to determine that quite early on. But going back to when it was just me, like my first hires and so on, when I was really young, I was quite scared to say my age. This idea that, like you mentioned, would you work for a 14, 15-year-old boy in his bedroom and that sort of thing. And so what age were you when you hired your first member of staff? Um, freelance, 14. I had like people doing like jobs for me in the evening and so on. And I would never tell them my age. And even on calls, it would always be more like a phone call than it would be a video call. And would you speak in a deeper voice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd just pick the kids up from school. I'd been along... <laughs> <laughs> just go, got the car back from MOT and everything. Yeah. I actually had a bad experience with the first ever person who I then took on from being like job by job to basically like a, a more structured contract. Still freelance because it's really logistical at that age to do PAY and so on. So took this lady on full time as a freelancer. Then this new story came out about, again, this young boy in his bedroom building a business and she read it. And I know she read it because one day I'm, I remember really well, I'm sitting in a science class and I get this text from a client being a bit like, where's their website? It's been weeks now. And I just didn't realise. And when I looked into it, it turned out she was actually working double jobs whilst I was at school, working for someone else. But because she found out that I was at school, could get away with it. And I'm now thinking, oh my word, this is like my first ever HR issue. And I'm like chatting to my mum, like, do I compose her like an email? How do I get rid of her? What's up the process here? And so on. Um, and I think from that point as well, I also taught myself and made it really clear I need to be authentic from now on I need to be open this is my age and you know what some aren't going to like that and I'm not going to take offense to that but you need to be aware from day one this is this is the company this is how we work and this is you know who I am about that and how did you deal with that particular issue because this is fascinating it's the first time you've had to f- confront this in your life yeah I mean the, the perk of it was she was a contractor, so it was much easier to sort of say, look, no more work coming your way and end it that, end it that way. That was much easier because it wasn't, it wasn't as hard, whereas like when you employ someone, it's so much more logistical and so on. But thankfully, none of the actually employed people I've ever had that issue with. And I think because I learned early on, okay, actually, you can't be someone's like boss and pretend or hide who you really are. You know, for this to work and flourish, you have to, be, you have, to have a great relationship. But how did you avoid 
becoming cynical about that because that's a young age to get a pretty harsh lesson in in double standards. My mindset is always like, what's next? How can I be better? How can I improve that? And so I think I can quite easily just park that and move on because in my mind, part of me maybe it's a bit of fuel to go, okay, now I've got to prove her wrong. You know, now I've got to show that actually, you know what, I can go ahead and I'm going to make this company even bigger and better and I'm going to show what you've missed out on. And part of me is also a bit like, that chapter's over now, now on to the next thing. And I've always been quite good at that, being able to close things off, which I think's also helped you know, as the company grows and you get both internal, external politics of clients and so on. And it's, I, I, yeah, it's always been the ability that probably for my parents, I'm really grateful to be able to do that. And what happened to this business? Do you, I mean, I assume you're not running the same business now. No, so I was 18 years old. I was at this point doing like loads of amazing events. So I was actually doing some work with the royal family as well and the government and- Okay, stop, <laughs> stop. You're 18 years old. I, we do need to connect the dots here. How have you gone from doing your science classes, employing a few freelancers to being 18 and working with the royal family and the government? And also, by the way, being described as one of the UK's most exciting entrepreneurs by none other than Sir Richard Branson. Like, when when did this thing explode and how? And how did you deal with it? <laughs> so I was 16, did my last GCSE exams. I remember it was on the first day was my last exam. That Monday, got my first office, and I was remember saying to my dad, like, in the back of his car, getting everything in. I was like, right now, now is the time. Like I feel like I'd almost been released in like a weird way. Being like, you know what, the the day to day of school had now been said. Actually, that's now finished. Off you go. Um, a few things. I ended up employing myself as an apprentice in my own business, so I could be full time in the company from sixteen to eighteen. And is that a common? Is that a common thing? As far as I'm aware, I'm the first person um, to have done that, and. It meant I was still in education, which is the law until you're 18. And so I was still doing like, the apprenticeship work, but I was also now full-time in the company. One of my employees was then my mentor for the apprenticeship. So moved, moved in this new office, moved into it, started to like, put all the stuff there. And then I actually was sitting down with one of my mentors and he was like, and his exact words, about it, I'll never forget it. He was like, website design companies are like fish and chip shops for everywhere. Like this is the point when everyone was moving online, every company was trying to you know, build their website, increase their presence. I'm the same age as Google, I think bar one day. So I, you know, I, my whole life had grown up with this sort of technology. So it got to this point where there was this big demand of people to go, yeah, you've got a nice website, but how do we get more people to see it and so on. And then basically we fell into marketing and we won some amazing government contracts and that's basically how we grew into that doing like road safety campaigns and things like that one that and generally the whole pitch in the marketing side of it was don't pay for a company who know young people as in they read about them pay for a company who's read by a young person advertising you know to his peers and you know, how how much more effective that can be and but that's something we see you know, even right now in modern day, if you want to reach a certain demographic of people, then, you know, you bring in people who you're trying to reach to help them come out of that campaign. And so that is like a whole thing. We did some amazing work, people like Pot Noodle, you know, working with the government, you're working with you know, some real big corporates to do this. And that then led to me being randomly asked, can I go and speak at conferences and speak at events? And so I started to do a lot of that. That, I'd say, also got me through the challenge, Jake, you were asking about earlier about like, age and you know, a young person, someone wanting to work for you, they're the same sort of conundrum with clients. Why would a multinational you know, corporate turn around and say, we're going to trust trust this 16, 17-year-old boy with, at some stage, it could be, you know, half a million pound contracts to do a big marketing campaign for us. 
you know, he might just run off to the sweet shop still, you know, you never know what's going to go on. So for me speaking on at stages or at events was like my way of almost proving myself because it's saying that, you know what, for you to speak at this event, you've got some credibility, you position yourself in a certain light. So I'd again, win some great clients doing that. And then I was actually um, speaking at a couple of events that I'd meet people who, and who'd be like, look, we're doing this work at government to do this big review for young people and how can we encourage young entrepreneurship across the UK? And so I then worked with a department to do like a big review on how to encourage entrepreneurship. And then the Royal Family side of things, you know, the Royal Family have got some amazing initiatives you know, to, and I think we often don't talk about the hundreds of initiatives that go on behind the scenes of the charities, the, the work they're doing. And I was really honored both, I got invited out to like um, Bahrain to go and speak over there. Um, I also did a lot of work on some initiatives that help train you know, young people to get digital skills. And just this idea that my generation are the ones who are going to be using all these like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and actually making practical use out of a lot of the technology that's now almost been passed over and so on. And so trying to educate people from a really young age to give it a go, see if it's what for you and so on, because we do have a massive shortage of like engineers and te technology people in the country. So when you were going into these environments, Ben, like I can't help wondering, like, did you ever feel patronized by some of these older people? And if so, how did you overcome that to be able to build that credibility beyond speaking at events? Yeah. And you must have developed some killer line, right? That just shuts people down when you can, when you can sense that they're. I think I actually, so sometimes if I was like really annoyed, I'd like just actually, you realize that I, I, you know, everybody's put, have like 20 employees about, no, I've actually got a company like 20 employees, more companies than, I'm, than my age. And more people and so sometimes i'd be a, sometimes i've say got something more and, staff more staff than years <laughs> on the earth that's quite a good line for shutting people down <laughs> I like that yeah. but, and that but i think actually most of the time i think i just learned to sort of turn around and say actually if if they're not going to respect that then i'm not i don't want to be in that room and i learned i learned that the hard way from a really young age when i was like 14 i remember i got invited and um, to this like massive it's like how you like they represent lots of companies across the UK, like a big body. Got invited up to a meeting. My mum actually had to go up with me because they said, you're so young, we need to have you there. And it was it was full of, as you honest, old guys in a room, you know, just sitting there sort of saying, this is what future businesses are. And I was just sitting there and sort of, yeah, it's a nice experience. You know, you're in a great office. You've got all these nice teas and biscuits of this age. I'm thinking, oh, this is lovely. And on reflection, I was like, you know what? That's I, I was just there to be a puppet, there to be, there to look good you know just because they wanted to be seen like oh we're helping the next generation at no point were any of my ideas or any of my suggestions or i was ever really asked to actually do something that made a difference and that made me really sort of almost have some self-respect to go actually if i'm going to do that i want to be somewhere that's going to be able to make a change and i can see that change through and even like now you know if i'm like if i'm going to get involved in something i'm always like is this just some face to a piece of paper or is this actually something that i can see an impact and actually get that satisfaction that someone has benefited from this. So give us some advice then. So Jake and myself are, are two blokes in our mid-40s. One of us is in our mid-40s. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm elevating Jake's age there, Ben. But, <laughs> but what I mean is like, what advice would you give us that we can do to be an advocate, whether it's for young people or people from uh, a minority group or somebody that just needs a voice that hasn't been heard before. What can we do better? I actually think sometimes just being that 
role model and seeing them face to face has like an immense amount of impact. It's weird. I still remember um, when I was at school, you know, enterprises, you know, the charity came into the school and they had like this day where they'd bring in like local professionals, you know, from, from around. You know, and there was actually a bank manager who I spoke to for a long time asking, what is it like to work at the bank? How does it work? How does that happen? And I still remember, I don't remember like the full conversation on his face, but I remember the emotions that came with that almost, almost moment of going, oh, you know what, actually, there's, there's opportunities, there's things you can do. And so I think for me, that's always a big thing is be able to just be there in person and be able to sort of say, look, you, you can achieve this and that inspiration. And I think the other thing that for me, I think is really important is actually just access to opportunity because I'd say so often there's this expectation that when you bring a young person, they have to work in certain ways. But like for me, what works so well is being given that creative space and a challenge. And I'd say, you know, a way to advocate the next generation is to, you know, if you've got a challenge, is to say, okay, go and solve that, go and do this for me. And, and look, you'll, you'll be shocked at the different responses or you know, s- solutions to that challenge. So I, and I'm sorry to butt in because the story is amazing. But the thing that leaps out to me is that even me, right, trying to set up a business, Ben, I follow the script that other people have written for me. And I go, right, what is the thing? Right, I do that. You're, you're doing things here that no one's ever done before. I'd love to know, A, where it came from, and B, how you had the bravery to, to kind of give it a go, if you, if you see what I mean. This is such an unusual and fascinating route for people to hear. I'd say I think it stems from, like I was saying earlier, this idea that my, my parents always set challenges and almost being a bit like, you know, I'll just solve that challenge. And for me, you know, I saw that as a challenge of being a bit like, I was literally about two years too late to not have this law that changed to be educated to 18. So I have in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm literally just, just missed this. There must be a way. And for me, instead of just, I'm not the sort of guy to read the answers. I want to read the question and find an answer myself. And so I literally was calling up colleges, you know, these um, education places and being like, look, this is what I want to do. I was like, just give me one day a week. I'll do, you know, part-time and I just want to make it work. And eventually found a college in Kent who said, yeah, you know what, we, we can make that work. But yeah, I think the key thing is just, I never take the answers. And that even applies right now when we're now growing my new company is, someone's like, that's how it works. I'm like, is it though? And I always question it, probably piss people off actually by doing that as well. But at the same time, I, I think for me, that's always something I've strived myself and been able to do. But what about your peer group as well, Ben? You've got your mates that are maybe on this path of education of I'll do my A-levels or consider university or wherever they go into employment. What were they saying and, and responding to when, you, when you're forging this, this new territory? I'd say, to be honest with you, on reflection, it probably disconnected me quite a lot from my peer group. And so I'd have like some real close friends who have known all of my life. And even like now, you know, they're still like really close friends of mine. But then a lot of like your usual school friends, you know, people who maybe you're not best friends with, but you, you get on well with, very much sort of a distance from them just naturally because, I think and there was a difference, you know, and I'm not saying one was right or wrong, but, you know, taking different paths away, it was weird for them and so on so yeah naturally there was that and I've actually almost after doing that almost made a lot of new friends of people who you know are entrepreneurs or people who have met um just for going to events and that sort of thing so I, I definitely say it disconnected me from the, the peer group of friends at that time and did you ever experience any bullying yeah so I mean, actually from a really young age um I had it so like even when I was I remember in primary school when I started the company first of all I actually went to this like um, bullying day 
in London. It was like for people who, who are being bullied and stuff. And it was basically because I was always that kid in class who would annoy everyone because I'd be asking loads of questions. Like, for example, if a teacher would go, okay, this is how this works. You mix this chemical with this and you get this explosion, whatever. I'd be like, but what in that chemical does it to this? Or how does it do that? And uh, I know it would annoy people and so on. And on the flex, you can probably see why now. But for me, that was how I learned by asking questions. And it, it did, even from that really young age, people used to get really annoyed of it. So how did you learn to cope with bullying then, Ben? There was actually this analogy they gave um, at this like day thing in London that for me, I still remember. And it, it was called like this ice mounting. It was this idea that, you know, people can like get up a mountain and so on. But if it's icy, you just fall back down. And, and that was something from that young age. So I always used to think about it. You know, if there's ever any an issue, they'd be trying to climb up the mountain. Yeah, they've got a pickaxe and get a little way up. But eventually you just slide back down and really, you can, don't really let them get to you. That was more like a visual, a sort of a mindset thing to go, never let them get up your mountain. And actually more recently, um, Ellie called Alison, um, Edgar MBE, who's someone who's back been around for years and years. I know she's on the circle uh, as well with this. And so she always said to me, look, if people are like saying these things to you, that actually you, you don't become like successful or make like a real difference about somebody in the world having a problem with that. And she was like, and she you said, you literally go back to some of like the greatest people in history who made some of the greatest impact ever. There's always a group of people who were against that. And so she always actually really put it well to me and was like, you just need to, yes, listen to it, because sometimes there may be a point you want to like address it, but also at the same time, realize that if you're doing something that's uncomfortable, sometimes that actually can be positive. It can be lonely as well, though, can't it? And I, I taught from the same experience, Ben, of struggling with bullying at school and having to move schools. Like, what got me was that loneliness, that crushing loneliness when my I can still I can get the feeling immediately when I imagine my mum's car pulling away from the school gates turning around and thinking okay in we go and it, uh, I now say that just because something is hard for you it isn't necessarily bad for you I don't know whether that speaks to you as well yeah I'd say reflection's like a great thing where like right now I'm, I'm a bit like yes you know what I think it made me the person I am today but I, I can still vividly remember times when because I because I disconnected myself from my peers and maybe I wanted to go to the cinema or go out that night, I'd be sitting at home and nobody would want to go out because I haven't connected with them for a long time or they felt like we're very different and so on. And I really remember sitting there and you feel like really lonely, really isolated. And and so I definitely, the emotion at that time was horrible, but I think, again, this is maybe the idea about closing the chapters. I'm now almost a bit like, actually, but now I'm in a place where, you know, I'm really happy. I've, I've also learned to really support my mental health a lot more and I think that comes down to the idea about entrepreneurship is in like the business hierarchy or map you're at the top where you can't go to your colleague and go oh I've had a really stressful day because people are looking to you to be that constant metronome in the business so I then had to really invest in my mental health and find ways to help me then talk or you know um, process things and so on. Would you mind sharing those? Yes so for me actually one thing I do quite a lot of is a float tank where literally you go into like these pods, like these salt waters and you just shut it and just like relax. My mind, like I'm always thinking. And I remember like I've done various, like, I, I still actually do like therapy like once a month. And for me, that's a constant way to be on top of things. And even then I remember a therapist like shut your eyes and think about something. And it's like, put your feet on the floor. 
And then she went, what do you think about? And I said, oh, I was thinking about my socks and where they're made and how they got to the country and the whole journey they've been on. And she was like, oh, your mind is like really active. And I said, yeah, I'm just constantly thinking. And so for me, I think the float tanks work so well because they literally shut off your senses. Like you're in this dark room, you're floating. So you're not like, feel like you're touching anything solid. There's no light, no sound, nothing. And sometimes you fall asleep. Sometimes you just remember things you haven't done, but I'd always come away from that. And especially even for as far as the next week, I'd feel like really clear and like baggage is off my mind. I mean, I think sometimes people will look at people with a brain like yours and think, oh, that must be lovely to be thinking of so many things all the time. But actually from the conversations we've had, it can be a very frustrating experience because life doesn't move as fast as you. Other people don't move as fast as you. And, and I would imagine that you are searching for big answers to huge global problems and you're probably frustrated on a daily basis that you're unable to find those answers yeah definitely for me i had to learn like even in my management style with the people is that when i first started i had this unrealistic expectation like oh that takes five minutes that takes this that takes that oh yeah you could easily do that and i had to really learn and teach myself that that's not the job of the manager you know if the idea is so great then maybe you have to grow the company and have people who can look at that or I need to look at myself and so on but yeah I did have this unrealistic expectation that people need to be working at that pace and it got me in some tricky situations where you know people would be like look I'm sorry but that's just, we're not able to do that like, that's just not how we work and so on and and yeah, so I've had a big learning curve to go through for that. And even like now... Would you mind sharing a, a specific story of that? Yeah, definitely. Going back to even like the website work and we we're doing that a company obviously before. So in with that, like I would look at it and be able to look at like a brief and go, let's put this here, let's put that there and this there, that there. Whereas you didn't get the other side of different types of people who go, okay, let's do a full like surveys of people. Let's chat about people's views on this company and how we can go against it and almost do like a full like pages and pages of mood boards and ideas and strategy and so on so we're like two complete extremes on the spectrum and there are people in my team who'd be like that and want to do this full and i get really frustrated at that because i'd be like we just need to get this going and moving and there'd be times where and i think this is why having um like the guy roger i was saying about earlier at like the club 1860 like having him was so good for me because i could go to him and i could like speak my mind and say why is this taking so long? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And he would then be able to help me process that in a closed environment and not then you know, bring it out to the rest of the team and start and so on. So I think that really helped me to learn to see how to then translate that into a way that's not going to annoy people. You're somebody that has incredible levels of self-awareness just listening to you and the fact that you've been able to reflect on this. What advice would you give to anyone listening to this then, Ben, about how they can raise their own levels of self-awareness, even if they're not an entrepreneur or they're working in a business? And also, if you could explain the benefits of doing that. Yeah, I would say, for me, like, reflection is a big thing. I say the float tanks, that's, for me, how I do that. I, like, reflect on my week or my day and what I've done. But I think the key thing about all of that is to have an end time. So that's why, for me, I love the float tanks, because they're an hour and that's it, you're done. And so it stops it going on. And there are some people who I meet and you know, who will be still thinking about something a month, six months, whatever later about that. And I think actually it's really important when you to have that self-awareness, but also be able to say, actually, now, now is the next step. Now I need to overcome that and actually start that next chapter. And so for me, having that time boxed moments would be my, would be my way of tackling that. 
And what are the great benefits that come from that self-reflection? Yeah, I'd say you are your biggest cynic. And like, you know, there are things which I will say to myself and I'd be like, oh, you, you are so like not in that conversation or you are so this and so that. And I really sometimes like really beat myself down and like, but, um, but then I also think as long as I then knew a second I've stopped that, a second that time limit's ended, you don't let that drag on. You're now, okay, take a deep breath and off you go. That would be the biggest way I'd almost get through those thoughts. And the importance of therapy I'm interested in. What Was there a, a, a moment that triggered your desire to go to therapy or did you just have a need? Yeah, so for me, that mental health is something that I learned to about probably in quite a tough way where I had family members and one of my best friends who's a really successful entrepreneur you know, really struggle with their mental health and it led to me really seeing unfortunately some of the extreme sides of mental health and really going to catch you you know what it's something that we don't talk about enough it's something that's I think that there's still this like taboo on therapy and that even for me that like, I'd literally be talking about looking after your mental health but not doing anything like this for me personally no nobody is like got nothing going on the mental health is not you have it or you don't it's it's, it's about I feel, for me it's that baggage it's that that things that you're carrying and that have gone on day to day and so I said to myself right I'm gonna push that challenge I'm just gonna start going to a therapist and just make it like every now and then and I was really nervous going in and more nervous of the idea that what if I find out something that I don't know or like what if I get told something and I think I realised actually that's not the job of therapy the job of a therapist is not to say you're thinking this or you are this it's just to let you process your thoughts and ask those questions and honestly the the impact that's had on me being able to like just close chapters or reflect or just like just to be at peace with myself if I feel like you know I've lost a client and just instead of holding that in, just being able just to talk about that, a therapist probably sitting there thinking, oh my word, he's just rabbiting on for an hour. But I, you know, at the end of it, I always thought, you know what, actually, I just feel so free. And yeah, it's, it's a hard one to explain, I think, the impact of therapy. I think it's something that I'd always say to anybody, like it's worth just giving it a go and just witnessing that. And I think I'm always been a big believer and part of work I was then doing from like the age of 18 is just trying to say, it's not, an unwell um, how can we treat you situation with therapy it's about being helping you to be the, the best you can be and sort of releasing and just be able to process your thoughts so are there any techniques that you picked up in therapy that you now as a leader employ yeah i'd say the big question that initially i'd always get asked in therapy would always and how does that make other people feel Cause i think it's so easy for you to say and i felt this about a situation or i felt that and actually to be asked yeah but how did the person who annoyed you feel when they were saying that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that made me like, apply that into like managerial skills and so on is actually, yes, I'm, I may be getting into like a heated discussion about whatever it might be, but then suddenly my brain will click and go, hang on a minute, I know I'm going to get asked in a couple of weeks. How did they feel about this? And then, and then suddenly I think about that and it actually helps me get through a lot. And what message would you give to teachers, Ben? We get an incredible number of teachers that listen to this podcast and I'm I'm sitting here thinking, well, you are a real rarity, right? So either there aren't many people on the earth like you, or we're not very good at allowing people like you to flourish. And there's a high possibility that it's the latter, isn't it? Yeah, I think for me, I learned, like for me being in a classroom, learning from a textbook, I struggled with massively because 
like saying I like to ask questions and find my own answers. But if the answers are in a book, then I just really, really struggled to concentrate and do that. And so the classes I would like excel at are the classes where it'd be, okay, go and research into this topic or go and do this and come back. Is that a flaw in education? I think it's a hard one because everyone learns differently. But what I do think from, from my side of things, there should have been more diverse ways of learning and to allow people to find out how they learn at such an early age. I think we almost go through this point where from a really young age, we try to put everyone down the same learning process until you reach like 16 and maybe you didn't get GCSEs. And then now we're thinking, oh my word, okay, do we need to think about a different college situation or a different sort of situation there? But I think actually it's like this level of self-awareness. People should be taught at a really young age, you know, like in maybe primary school, secondary school, I don't know the right time sort of a science point of view there, but how they learn best and what helps you to flourish, then that should be encouraged because in reality, the time you spent doing something which you're really not good at or is not how your brain thinks, yes, it can help maybe in certain parts, but I also think it can hold back you flourishing in the part you're great at. And I sometimes think we're guilty, as many people are, coming up with all the answers for people that work in the education sector, right? The truth is, if you're a teacher, you can only operate in the parameters that you're given, right? You have to stick to the curriculum, work in the school system, all of those things. But at the same time, there is freedom within that. So no, without a teacher being able to totally change the way education operates in this country, because one person alone can't do that, for teachers in the current system, what would you like to see them do more of if you were to just give them one pearl of wisdom from the life that you've lived? I would say it's about making a conscious effort about to just to try to do different topics delivered in different ways and actually to mix things around a lot more consciously and actually explain why you're doing it and not just do it but I think actually it's about saying to the people actually you know what I've tried to do it in this method this week how let's reflect on that how did you find this method compared to the other methods and then that helped people have that self-awareness of oh that's actually the sort of person I am that's how I'm going to reach you know the peak of my performance, you know, growing up when I'm older, because I've learned from a really young age, that's the way that I find, you know, that, that rhythm. So can I ask you a final question on this, Ben, that takes you back to one of your earlier responses that you gave us when you described at 11 years of age that you just lost hours when you were sort of working on building websites. And the American author, a guy called Daniel Coyle, calls it the mouth open moment. You know, when you see a kid and the mouth is just in awe at whatever they're watching and that's where you know their passion, their interest lies. As you've sort of gone through on this entrepreneurial journey, have you had any other moments where you've discovered other passions that are as deep as that first moment you had at 11? I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, everything to do with business and entrepreneurship is amazing and I'd happily do it until two in the morning. You know, there are tasks you have to do where you don't like that. And I think I then had to learn in my day the things that are like the mouth opening moments, the things that I absolutely get real passionate and get lost in, to do them at the end of the day when I'm best at doing that and the things that I just have to do because it's part of the job per se, get it done in the morning when I'm just very transactional in how I work and my mindset is kind of sort of getting going. Um, other things, I think, yeah, for me, like um, current company now is really focused on you know, community inclusion, helping people come together at work and that sort of thing really is, is a big passion for mine. That, you know, that, I'd say the ability to be able to see people come together and connect. I'll happily spend hours and hours without even looking at the clock, just thinking about ways we can improve the product and make it, yeah, make it help more people and support people in their journey. There's probably a skill in finding what those things are 
and in, in doing those activities at, at the right time when you can like really flourish and put your all into it. Before we move on to our, our quick fire questions, Ben, um, and obviously you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, but I just get this sense that yours isn't one of impatience, right? You're, you started early and you have the drive and the energy like you're just beginning today, right? You're still in your early 20s and you're pushing as hard as ever. But I don't think it's impatience. I kind of get this impression from the last almost hour that we've spoken is that you seem to have this feeling that opportunities are there to be found. Opportunities aren't something that is going to get given to you. Like you're fighting for this rather than you're not just being open, right? Which some people are, which is great, but you're actively searching. Is that is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I'd say that's, that's bang on for me. And that's why you know, if, if somebody says that's a solution, my mind is always, is that the best solution? Or is that just what society tells us is that solution? And don't get me wrong, that does annoy people. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, that, that's always the best approach to everything. But I'd like to think that's helped me you know, progress a company at such a young age because I'm unable to go, well, why have you always done things in that way? Why, 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 do, why can't we question the fact that's the norm? So are there any times though when you just decide questioning isn't the way forward? I'm thinking of like the Toyota method is the five whys till you get to the heart of what you're really trying to achieve. And it sounds that that's a lot of what you're doing. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? But are there any moments where you just decide, I'm just going to accept conventional wisdom that that's the best way and we'll just get on with it? I can't think of any specific moments, but I definitely have learned to do it. I think that's also been part of me, my mental health to go, actually, I also need to realise, you know, we've got a team and we need to empower individuals to, everyone works different. I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong at all. Everyone's got different views and everyone's different approaches to everything. And so I've also then learned, you know what, sometimes if I feel really passionate about it, yeah, I will quiz the why and why, but also the role of a great manager or even like any society, manager, coach, anything, the role of them is to be able to just actually say, that's how you excel. That's you, you, you're, you're bringing to this a level of experience. So if you question everything, then you are going to make mistakes because I'm not, also, I'm not saying that, you know, for the last you know, thousands of years that things have been done in certain ways and that's wrong at all. So we also need to be aware of uh, questioning. Yes, you can ask why, but you also have to know at what point do you stop and what point do you go, okay, actually now we just carry on. Right, time for our quickfire questions, Ben. The first one is the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the team around you must buy into? I'd say it's speaking your mind, really important. I hate sort of like sugarcoating things. Second thing, being fully present. Really, I hate people who are like texting or like sort of not fully in a conversation. You need to be there or, or don't be there. And then I think the third one is people who know how to make themselves the best they can be so if you know that to perform well at work, you want to go for a gym or go for a walk before work, then like do that and do actually invest in your in yourself and your life. And people, oh yeah, I know I should be doing that, but I don't. And I find that frustrating. If you know you can do it and you've got facilities to do it, I, I think you should be trying to do it. How did you deal with your greatest failure? I haven't had any like monumentous failures where, you know, I, I'm thankfully touched where I've never had a situation, you know, where like a company's massively failed or they've had like investors and I know some entrepreneurs have had that horrific experience for having to explain to investors, you know, we're not operating anymore. For me, I think the biggest failures that come to mind are probably more down to like, either losing big clients 
and that sort of thing. And I used to take it really personally. And it used to like, it used to really like hit me hard and I'd be like, what have I done wrong? Is it all me? And I think when, the, like I mentioned earlier, that detachment from like home and work was like my way of coping with that. To go, yes, it can feel really hard in the office in the moment, you know, when you're working, but I need to be able to then come away from that. And, you know, for me, I play a lot of table tennis and that's like my way of getting around that because I see it as being like a metronome as well, playing like the ball hitting back and forth, no phone. And that, I'd always use that as my way to get through a real like bad moment, like a failure as a way to then like just think about the ball bouncing and go and play. And by the time I've come back, I'm now shut ch- ch- that chapter. I'm now thinking, okay, how do I start the next one? What's your biggest strength? What's your greatest weakness? For me, I'd actually probably say it's both. I'd uh, same thing. I'd say my biggest strength is the fact that always questioning why and always pushing to know, okay, can we make that quicker? Can we adjust it to do this a bit better? I think that then has the greatest weakness is the fact that you can sometimes over question things, I believe, and you can also annoy people and that can be frustrating. So I'm having to like learn that balance. The other thing is I can sometimes get really focused on a minor thing and like some people just go, okay, let's just get it on. But for me, I'm like, no, 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 we need to fix that. Why is that doing this? Now, like it's literally one word in an email. I'm like, no, we need to make sure that's, that's working and that's great. So I think, yeah, probably two there, but. How important is legacy to you? When I think of the word legacy, I think of like somebody trying to leave a great name for themselves. For me, not as fussed about like my name and the, the, the legacy behind that. The legacy of helping other people who have been through the challenges I've been through, really important. And that's something that I think like you mentioned earlier, you know, from a young age, starting a company, I was breaking the norms like every single day. And I was, I was meeting people who you know, would stereotype young people or would look negatively on that. And so for me, I almost saw I had a duty from a legacy point of view to turn around to them and say, actually, you know what? This is how young people can be great at that. There's uh, one quick story about that where business banking, you have to be 18 in the UK to get a business bank account. I was 16. My child's account was frozen, which is actually how I was running my company because I couldn't get the company account. And I then lobbied the government and I was like, that is not right. Why are we having to be forced to wait to 18 to start a company and the banks are having to advise use a child's account, which then goes against you know, all these other systems, all these other advice that have been given in the government's guidance and whatever. So I then said, that's not right. We need to change this. Long story short, I became the first person to get a business bank account whilst under the age of 18. And that literally changed the rules to that. It's, I'm not going to say it's still like high street level where you can walk there and get it. You have to like apply and the banks will like review you and so on. But for me, that for me is like a moment of pride of legacy where I can look back and go, other young people can now go and get a bank account and not have a situation where they're being told by their bank, you cannot operate as a company, we're freezing your personal account. And Ben, the final question is, um, and this is kind of your, your last message really to the listeners of this fascinating conversation, your one golden rule to living a high performance life. For me, it's, it's pausing and that reflection t- period of in a, in a locked time period. So you say, I have an hour and that's me. Everyone's different. That's because I say my brain's always thinking and moving. So that moment of pause is an opposite to how I think throughout the week. And that's like my way of doing that. I think it's really interesting. And a lot, I know that it's probably not the easiest life, right? To live with a brain like yours, which is constantly almost forcing you to rethink and reminding you every day that the answer is not necessarily the answer. Um, but I think you can be nothing um, but grateful to have a brain that works in that way because um, the 
the only people that have changed the world we live in are the people that don't accept the way the world is at the moment. And that's exactly what you're doing. And uh, I really believe that that is such an inspiring and an inspirational conversation for for people to listen to whatever age they're at. You know, it's a reminder that all of us have to understand that the answer doesn't have to be the answer. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Damien. Jake. I keep coming back to that same thing in my head. Um, The answer is not the answer. And actually, I'm now frustrated because he was sharp enough, bright enough, clever enough, driven enough at 11 to realise the answer wasn't the answer. And I'm 43 and I've spent 43 years saying to myself, why is that the answer? Rather than trying to solve the problem. And I think that is a great lesson for everyone listening to this, not to accept what you're told, but to go and find the answer for yourself. Yeah. And I think the real hero of uh, Ben's story are his parents that nurtured and encouraged that. They didn't just tell him to sit down, shut up and, and assume that his elders were wiser than him. They asked him to go and question it in a respectful manner. And I think we can all do that. We can all take that and rethink what we, what we assume we know, how many of our lives are based on assumptions. And if anyone is in any doubt about whether life is a team sport or not, just listen to the things Ben said. And he throws them away. They're quite blasé from him. He says, you know, um, I work with a 60-year-old and we called it Club 1860. But there's a real sharp, bright, clever lesson there for people that if you're going to build a team, it's about getting the right people, but also the people that fulfil the things that you can't fulfil. He couldn't be a 60-year-old. And that guy then just gave instant credibility to him. Yeah, I think he did. But I think... Again, another message that really jumped out for me was the power of authenticity. You know, the story when he was let down by that lady that took advantage of him being in school when she was supposed to be working. And part of it, he, rather than blame her and be cynical that that's human nature, he realised that it was on him that he hadn't been completely honest and upfront with his own employees about his young age and where he was on his journey. And again, I think that's a good reminder for all of us about just be yourself. You know, that old Oscar Wilde quote, be yourself, everybody else is taken. Yeah, I love that. And also accept others and be open-minded. I bet there's a string of people who had the opportunity to work with Ben that thought, I'm not doing anything with a 12-year-old. And they are now the ones thinking, ah, oh, why yeah. didn't I realise what that 12-year-old could offer? You know, we all need to have an open mind as well. We need to explore and be open to the possibility that, anyone can do anything yes absolutely and uh, I think he was a really powerful example of it and personally I've taken away that message around being an advocate for young people as well you know Mm. don't just see them as a tick box of feeling that because you've invited them that means that you've listened to them it means actually invite them encourage them and then listen to them and I've written down on a post-it note that is on my desktop here there's there's fish and chip shops everywhere (laughs) Because I love the fact that, you know, some people won't do things because there's already loads of them existing. You've just got to do the same thing that everyone else is already doing, but do it better than them or do it different to them. But it's like your conversation that you had before we started the High Performance Podcast where you reached out to Fern, you know, where you said to her, is the market not saturated? Is there not people that are tired of podcasts? And her answer was the same as what Ben was telling you. You know, that there's a place for everybody as long as you're authentic and do it on, on your own terms. What a great conversation. The power, the power of rethinking, right? 
Yeah, I loved it. I thought I could see so many parallels, you know, like our conversation with Ben Francis, with Lewis Morgan, with AJ Tracy. There was lots of parallels with mm. a lot of those young entrepreneurs that have sort of found their own way. And I think that there's almost a blueprint there for all of us. It's not saying there's a formula, but there's a blueprint we can follow that comes from authenticity, from curiosity and from bloody sheer minded hard work. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Jake. Loved it. Well, that's it. As always, huge thanks to you for growing and sharing this podcast among your communities. Thanks very much to Dell Technologies and Microsoft for making this episode happen. Remember, Dell is a trusted advisor for small businesses. They offer dedicated technology and solutions so you can find the right technology and advice to help your business grow. And for all you small business owners listening, remember to let Dell Technologies help safeguard your business with modern devices and Windows 11 Pro so you can do more and we can all go forward together. I really hope that you found this conversation with Ben Towers inspiring, uplifting, and it makes you realise that he's done it and you can if you want to. Finally, don't forget to search Dell Podference or visit dell.co.uk forward slash podference if you want to find out more. But thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you soon for another episode of the High Performance Podcast. 